Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. That was no mistake. Jesus is the good gardener. Jesus is the tender of our souls. Jesus nourishes that which is dead, that which has been planted within us until it blossoms and sprouts and bears fruit in the world. Jesus, the good gardener, does not sleep. Jesus tends us. Our series this Lent has focused on the anchor image of a ladder garden 
to evoke a shift from climbing for the sake of prosperity to tending the beauty that is right there within us, that is good enough. Leaving behind perfection for the provenient grace of good enough just the way we are. Byron has just read our Easter gospel message from John that Jesus was mistaken for the gardener, but he has turned out to be that tender of our souls. Our Easter message comes from the final devotion of the book that some of us have been reading called Good Enough by Jessica Ritchie and Kate Bowler. Her last devotion is called A Good Gardener. A proud British gardener named Steve Owen specializes in prize-winning breeds of snowdrops. This galanthropile pulled a pot from the shelf, white petals dangling downward as if to drip from the delicate green stalk. Beaming, he described how this was the first time this plant had ever bloomed after 14 years of tending it. Most of the time, it's been a fight to keep it alive. Hallelujah, he said joyously. Gardening requires a certain kind of hope, envisioning new life in the midst of despair and death. Gardeners toil and trowel, pluck and prune, all for a single bloom. The very act of gardening is one of hope. And it's the exact kind of hope that a woman was hunting for on that first Easter morning. The sun hadn't peeked over the horizon yet. The greenish haze of the moon offers barely enough light to move about. And according to John's gospel, Mary Magdalene is awake. Grief does that to you. A day stretches into night. The moon chases the sun to day again. The circadian rhythm cannot win against the restlessness of an unsettled mind or a broken heart. Days before, Mary's beloved friend and teacher was murdered. The Sabbath meant burial preparation had to be left unfinished. And as soon as the clock released her, Mary made her way back to the tomb. But when she arrived, the stone had moved. Jewish custom took seriously the first seven days of grieving, so to strip people from enacting final acts of love would have been a cruelty to fragile mourners. Even Gentile grave robbers would have left the body behind out of respect. She takes off to find Peter and John, who confirm her fear. The body is missing. And yet, the bed has been made. The pieces of cloth they swaddled him in are perfectly folded in his stead. Undone by the layered grief, the men don't linger, but head home. First, they lose their teacher and friend, 
Now his body has been desecrated. It's too much for anyone to bear. I wonder if they try to get Mary to come along to leave the place of death and get some sleep. The bags under her bloodshot eyes must have given away her exhaustion, but instead she stays, posted at the last place she saw Jesus, like a soldier keeping watch. She peers inside the empty tomb again. This time, it isn't empty. But she doesn't see who she is looking for. Two people dressed in white sit where Jesus once lay. Why are you crying? A rather heartless question to ask in a cemetery. Heaving through sobs, she tells them what's wrong. They've taken him. Then turning to leave, she nearly bumps into a man with dirt under his fingernails. He too asks her, why are you crying? Through tear-blurred eyes, she mistakes him for the gardener and begs him to tell her where Jesus' body lies. What a strange detail. The resurrected Christ mistaken for a gardener. Maybe it's because he stole the gardener's clothes since his were stripped and gambled over. Maybe because where Jesus was crucified in a garden, a tiny beautiful detail that reminds us that death is never too far from life. Maybe Jesus looks like his dad, the first gardener who tended Eden barefoot. Maybe Jesus looks like the new Adam, the head gardener for the new Eden of the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe it's because he carries the pruning shears of a vine dresser, the careful tender of our souls ready to pluck and to plant, uproot and cut back. Maybe he looks ready to cultivate new life, to pull us toward resurrection with his fingers digging in near the worms. Or maybe this gardener looks like he knows something about hope. Hope that Mary desperately needs. A gardener knows the kind of hope it takes to sow a seed in the ground, to cover it with manure, to bury it in the cold winter dirt surrounded by naked trees, to leave it be for months, trusting that with a magic amount of water, air, and time, something new will be born out of a single seed. A seed doesn't taste very good or have any nutritional value. It really has no purpose until it's planted by a good gardener. Yet inside, a tiny seed is all the genetic information needed to grow into a complete plant. And under the right conditions, this tiny speck will sprout and root and bud and bloom. What grows might provide food, shelter, or awe. 
Sometimes a giant sequoia or a bush weighted with juicy raspberries or a flamboyant peony. But the first step to creating life from this insignificant genetic package is that you must bury it. A seed reaches its potential only when it is buried, when things look the most lost, the most dark, the most covered, the most long gone, the most hopeless. That's when the seed is undergoing the most important change. Through its death, it might produce fruit. Seeds must be buried, but some even need more drastic circumstances to allow for new life to bust through that thick seed coat. Some need to be exposed to the most freezing temperatures before they will germinate. Sequoia seeds germinate only when burnt. Some seeds, when ballooned with water, finally burst open. Some, when they are kept in the pitch black for a long time. Hard-shelled seeds must be scarred, cracked, or manually broken open. Some need to be eaten by animals and <clears throat> released and still others must sit dormant for several years before something mysterious triggers them to sprout. And that first burst of life that breaks through the seed coat after it's been buried, it's called the radical. Radical with a L-E on the end. This gardener knows the hope it takes to believe that through the death, the freezing, the fire, the floods, the darkness, the crushing, the consumption, the waiting, even there, new life can be born. This is the radical, A-L. This is the radical moment of new life bursting forth from death. Gardeners are delighted, yes, but not surprised. They know what can grow out of the cold, hard winter ground. And while spring may be predictable to gardeners, resurrection is not. This gardener, this good gardener, Jesus, knows something about that, though. Mary doesn't recognize that the gardener is Jesus, not until he calls her by name. Like a gardener who can name every variation of plant growing in her plot, what is it about this voice that feels so recognizable? What is it about your name on a familiar tongue that feels so comforting? Finally, Mary knows, Rabunai, she exhales the weight of despair, my dearest teacher. Maybe this is what it means to be an Easter person, to see Christ and think, gardener, not as a mistaken identity, but as a prophetic one. 
the seed in the ground, the body in the tomb, this is a picture of defiant hope. All of the labor and sweat and love and precious time for a single bloom. Delicate and bold, brief but memorable. Hallelujah indeed. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.